Welcome to the Soul Talk. I'm uh, John Harmon. I have the pleasure of speaking with everybody uh, out there in the internet world today, and I'm pretty uh, excited and uh, pretty honored to be able to do that. Um, uh, I'll be speaking on grief. It's a, it's a message that got kind of impression on my heart a while back, uh, which is titled Good Grief. Kind of seems like an oxymoron, but I... Um, do you believe that we serve a God who presents things very paradoxically sometimes where he gives us two things that seem like they don't fit together, but in fact, uh, he makes a way to combine them uh, like only he can. Um, so I'll uh, give you a little background on how this started. Uh, I was kind of going through something real personal uh, in my life and uh, was kind of dealing with some grief from it, and it seemed much larger than in me and my ability to kind of cope and, and deal with it. Um, and in my reading of the Bible that day, I came across uh, Genesis chapter 43. Um, and it's actually Jacob, <coughs> Jacob, yeah, who um, says this, and then it kind of just caught my attention. So I'll go ahead and I'll just start reading. So it's Genesis chapter 43, verses 6 through 14. Uh, and in chapter, or verse 6, it, it's, Israel asked, why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man you had another brother? They replied, the man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living? He asked us. Do you have another brother? We simply answered his questions. How are we to know? He would say, bring your brother down here. Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift. A little balm and a little honey, some spices and myrrh, some pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the amount of silver with you, for you must return the silver that was put back into the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and go back to the man at once, and may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man so that he will let your other brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. And it was really this last verse here, in verse 14, the last portion of that, where Jacob, or Israel, says, as for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. And it was how he uh, had this positive outlook towards grief, uh, how he was able to take such a situation knowing that it could cause him more grief. And yet he says, well, if, if it brings grief, then, then I'm grieved. Essentially, he's just saying, um, whatever the situation brings, I'll deal with it. Um, and it just seems to be such a positive outlook. And applying that to what I was going through at the time, I was really kind of grieved and very emotional about some some personal things in my life 
And then I read this, and he really what he's looking at is, uh, you know, Jacob could potentially lose yet another son. And he's saying, if that's the outcome, then that's the outcome. Then that's what I'll have to deal with. And, and thinking about how Jacob was able to kind of internalize this and still have a positive outlook or at least have the strength to accept that that might be the outcome, uh, it made me wonder, how could I also have that same uh, strength to kind of deal with what I was dealing with? If I have to be grieved in this moment, then I am grieved, but I know that something good will come out of it. So I think it started with really taking a look and getting some context behind what was going on. So leading up to Genesis chapter 43 is really the whole story of Joseph. Um, and that's the whole reason um, that they were even having to take another brother back to Egypt uh, was because uh, Joseph... Um, their brother was there. So I'm just going to give a little bit of context to kind of help bring you guys up to speed to Genesis chapter 43. And we'll start with the story of Joseph. Uh, Joseph was the 11th of 12 sons that would eventually become the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, they were all sons of Jacob. Jacob, uh, that was his birth name. And the angel of the Lord eventually gave him uh, the name Israel, which we all know as a nation state, which was the promise of God that he would make a nation of Jacob's descendants, uh, which were his 12 sons, which would later be known as the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, we know that Jacob was highly favored by his father. Uh, and in fact, he was given a coat of many colors to symbolize his favoritism. Um, <clears throat> and really, Jacob's favoritism was because um, he was the son uh given to him by Rachel, whom uh, Jacob loved Rachel. So uh, some of that favoritism spawned from that. Um, we know that Jace, Joseph had um, the ability to, in, uh, to interpret dreams uh, and that he had had a dream uh, in which uh, portrayed um, 12 or 11 sheaths and they all bowed down to his sheaths or essentially it's just a, a stack of hay or a stack of grain, uh, and he interpreted this as, my brothers will one day bow down to me. And they didn't like that. Uh, and in fact, even when his, Joseph's father Jacob heard this dream, he even rebuked him because he thought it was a little radical. Um, and because of the favoritism, because Jacob's uh, or, or Joseph's dreams, um, which pointed that, uh, that he would actually be a leader over his, his 11 brothers, um, they plotted against him and uh, they actually had him uh, thrown into a pit and they sold him to some Ishmaelites who then traveled to Egypt, uh, who then sold him to Potiphar, who we know was uh, the Pharaoh's right-hand man, essentially. Uh, he oversaw the palace guard. Um, then eventually Potiphar's wife accused Joseph of trying to sleep with her. Uh, and then um, Joseph was thrown into prison. Uh, while he was in prison, he actually interpreted some, some dreams. One of the cupbearer, um, which was a little troubling, where he uh, actually essentially told the cupbearer that the Pharaoh's going to, he's going to kill you. Um, but he asked him, 
um, that when when he he was released, that he would let the pharaoh know that he was there. Um, and then there was, I believe, that was the the baker uh, who was also imprisoned with Joseph. He interpreted his dream, uh, and again, he told him, "When you're released and you go before the pharaoh, just remember me." Um, which neither one of them did until the pharaoh had a dream. Uh, at which time the baker, who was still alive because he was not murdered, as the cupbearer was, um, told him, hey, actually, I was, I was locked up. Did some time with this guy, Joseph, who uh, correctly interpreted my dream. Uh, so maybe you should give him a whirl. Uh, he does. Uh, he interprets the Pharaoh's dream, which uh, comes out to seven years of abundance, seven years of famine. So you must prepare. Uh, the Pharaoh prepares, uh, in fact, saves the lives of, uh, what I would estimate millions, because not only those Egyptians living in Egypt uh, were spared from the famine because of the preparation, but also those surrounding Egypt would come to Egypt uh, seeking food because of the abundance that they had stored. Uh, and that would even include Joseph's brother. Um, so when his brothers get there, he realizes who they are. They don't realize who he is. Um, he accuses his brothers of being spies and he sends them back to Jacob, uh, their father, and says, uh, to, 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 and tells them, Hey, go get your one brother who's not here, who was the youngest one, which was Benjamin, um, to prove that they weren't spies. Uh, and Joseph orders to keep Simeon, which is one of the, his brothers, to ensure that they would return with Benjamin. Um, so here's kind of summation of, of, of the story of Joseph. Joseph uh, encountered a lot of grief in his life. Uh, he was um, out of jealousy, detained, sold into slavery, and then even in slavery when he found good fortune with Potiphar, eventually uh, due to Potiphar's wife lying, was then put back into more grief, uh, imprisoned. Um, yet still through all of this, he seemed to maintain a positive, uh, outlook. Um, so looking at the story of Joseph, which kind of builds up to Genesis chapter 43, um, I decided to look even deeper and kind of look into the story of Jacob or Israel, um, to kind of see if maybe there was a little bit more clues as to what contributed to him having a positive outlook, uh, looking at grief and saying, well, if I'm grieved, then I must be grieved. Um, so I want to give a little bit more context and kind of look into the story of Jacob. So we know the story of Joseph, which kind of gets us to chapter 43. We want to look a little bit more into the story of Jacob or Israel. Um, and we know that Jacob had a twin brother. And um, it was Esau. Um, and Esau was actually the firstborn, which means that he was actually entitled to twice as much of his father's wealth um, when his father were to die. Um, but he acquired that birthright from Esau in exchange for some stew. Esau came in. He was starving. Um, apparently he thought he was going to die. So he exchanged his birthright for some of the stew uh, that Jacob was making. Um, and that really kind of 
widen the chasm between the two brothers. There's a lot of grief there between them. And then at the behest of his mother, Rebecca, uh, Jacob actually tricked uh, his father um, into blessing him. And uh, when he, he, so he gets the birthright from his brother Esau, and then he takes the blessing from Esau. Um, and this was just kind of, uh, Esau, that, that was kind of the last straw. He, he wants to kill Jacob at this point. So his mother says, you're going to have to run. You're going to have to go into hiding. Um, and she sends him to her brother's house, Laban. He immediately falls in love with Rachel, which as we had said, uh, Rachel was, was actually the father, the father, the mother of, uh, Joseph. Um, and he works seven years for his uncle Laban, expecting to marry Rachel, but his uncle actually tricks him, uh, which I think is a little funny, seeing as he had kind of seemed to be a trickster himself, um, and marries him to Leah and uh, not Rachel. So then he winds up working another seven years for Rachel's hand in marriage. Um, so 14 years he works there. And then he works another six years tending Laban's flock. Um, so he's there working for his uncle and hiding essentially from his brother Esau for about 20 years. Um, he eventually leaves. Laban's house. And... Um, He's given word, sends some some of his um, his his men ahead of him, and they meet up with Esau, and um, they come back and they say, "Hey, Esau's coming! Esau's coming!" Jacob gets pretty pretty scared. Um, he sends some gifts his way. Um, and Jacob finds himself. Little worried. He's afraid that Esau is not going to forgive him, even after this 20 years, and that is essentially Esau is going to kill him and, and his entire family. So Jacob approaches God and he asks God for favor. Um, and essentially, Jacob even going before God saying, Hey, God, you remember you said you'd, uh, you promised to bless me? Uh, well, now would be a good time for that blessing. You know, Jacob wrestles with the angel of the Lord and gets his hip knocked out. In Genesis 32, um, and that's where he gets his new name, Israel. Um, and then when he finally eventually meets up with Esau, Esau actually embraces him and throws his arm around him uh, and kisses his neck. So we, I think it's very interesting to kind of look at these stories. So you've got the story of Joseph that gives us some context, and we've got the story of Jacob here. And we see, if I were to kind of look at both of their lives, I think we could see that Jacob almost seems like a little trickster. He kind of seems like he's got something up his sleeve. He's, he's always looking to kind of get ahead um, and, and almost gets himself into a lot of trouble throughout his life. Uh, but we do see some growth here, I think, towards the end of his life, or at least as it progresses in his story. And then we look at his son, Joseph, 
didn't really seem to do anything to egg on the trouble, to really bring the trouble on himself. Um, so you kind of have these two different stories where they're both met with grief. They both deal with their fair share of grief. Uh, Jacob almost, you'd almost look at it and say, well, he's kind of asking for some of that stuff. But then you look at Joseph and you say, Joseph didn't really do anything wrong, but yet he was still grieved. He still had a lot of grief in his life where maybe he, he, he wasn't so much deserving of that. So as I kind of started thinking about these two things, um, I think the Lord began to speak to my heart and give me some, some main takeaways from this. And the first being that grief is inevitable and something that we all will have to deal with at some point in time, whether we did something that brought that on us or whether it's outside acting forces that brought it onto us without anything that we did or whether we really stir the pot, so to speak, and we bring that trouble on ourselves. Uh, you, you kind of see this contrast between Jacob and his son, Joseph, where one seemed to be stirring the pot and one was just merely living his life and ran into grief. So number one, I would say, accept that grief is inevitable. And this seems to be pretty biblical. I'm going to go through a couple of verses here that seem to support this idea. Um, the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 33. Uh, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world, right? So this is actually spoken by Jesus, the Messiah. He says, uh, in this world, you're going to have trouble. So from the lips of God, you're going to have trouble. You're going to run into things in life. But that even in your trouble and even in your despair, you can take heart. You can find a positive attitude in knowing that Christ, uh, he overcame the world. Uh, and Job, which is, I think, uh, well, first of all, it's the oldest book in the Bible, but we know that Job experienced, I think even a lot of people who aren't Christians or even really all that familiar with the Bible, they know that Job experienced just great turmoil. He had a lot of grief in his life. Uh, Job chapter 5, verse 7, Yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward, right? Man is born for trouble. Man is born for grief. Uh, Job chapter 13, verses 13 through 15. Keep silent and let me speak. And then let come to me what may. Why do I put myself in jeopardy and take my life in my hands? Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Again, Job accepting God could strike me down at any minute, right? Like any one of us could be struck down. That, that grief is, it, it could come at any moment. And I love that twist on that there, though, in, in verse 15, where he says, yet I will hope in him. So he's still saying, even though God could take my life at any moment, I'm still going to hope in him. Um, and then James chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the one who preserves under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So he's speaking about persevering under trial. Well, that alone speaks to the idea that we're all going to have trials. We're all going to have things that are going to be difficult in life that we must overcome. 
and then even going all the way back to Genesis, uh, I've got six, uh, chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. I'm going to go ahead and skip down here to go to 17. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. This idea that, um, oh, and even, so, even back up in verse 16, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children, as he speaks that curse to, to females, and then the, the latter is uh, cursed is to man having to toil the earth. So, God himself is saying, you're going to deal with grief. Now that you live in a fallen, broken world of sin, grief will be inevitable for you. Um, and the second point that God really impressed on my heart was that um, if grief is inevitable, um, it's important that we grieve with one another. Um, and a couple of verses I'm going to touch on here are Exodus chapter 17, verse 12. Um, this uh, happened, a little context here. The Israelites had gotten out of Egypt, and they were um, in a fierce battle. Uh, and it says, When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. Because whenever his hands were lifted, the Israelites were winning the battle. So as he became heavy laden and, and weary, uh, Aaron and her came beside him and lifted his hands up. So this idea that we have to come beside one another and be there for one another as we uh, experience grief and hardship. Uh, in Psalms 34, verse 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So this idea that um, the Lord grieves with us and that we must, as a uh, Ambassadors of Christ grieve with one another. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 through 10. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Um, you know, Ford and I talked about community today, and uh, it just, I can't emphasize enough how important it is to have others in your life who can help pick you up when you fall, who can come beside you and grieve with you. Um, uh, another thing I wanted to touch on. So Jewish tradition, uh, and they have five phases of bereavement. So through grief, through the death of a family member, there's five phases that they go through. Uh, I'm really only going to touch on the first two. Um, and how they apply to this message. But phase one is called, and, then, uh, and this is occurs from the death to the burial, but there's no mourning involved here. Um, it's actually just kind of the shock phase where they're kind of going through this idea that this, this devastating thing has happened to them. And they're just almost in denial, just not trying to accept it. Uh, and until after the burial, which starts phase two, which is Shiva, which literally translates to sit. And so 
what phase two Shiva requires is that you sit with close relatives of your nuclear family. So this includes wife, husband, children, brothers, sisters, and they just mourn with one another in this close group of people who love one another, who are close to one another, and they just grieve with one another. They sit and they grieve and they recite the Kaddish, which is a prayer. And this is just profound to me because even in their grieving, they come together, they grieve together, and they glorify God. And through their faith, they believe that God will restore them and that he will deliver them from their suffering. And the third point uh, that got impression on my heart through this was that we must pray for one another. Um, James chapter 5, verse 13, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. We must intercede with four other people. We must come and pray for them. We must come before the throne of God and seek that God alleviate and help our brothers and sisters. And we do this through prayer. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 25, Paul pleaded for the church in Thessalonica, Brothers and sisters, pray for us. And lastly, number four, I think the most important part is, we must have faith and believe that the Father will restore us. So we know that grief is inevitable. We know that we must grieve with one another. And we know that we must pray and intercede for one another. But ultimately, individually, we need to seek out our own faith and believe in our hearts that the Father will restore us.